Well, good evening. Let me add my welcome to each of you guys. Welcome to our uh, Easter services this weekend, the first of our three services. And you know it's Easter when I got my shirt tucked in, all right? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, special. Come back next week. I don't like to do the bait and switch, so next week it'll probably be out, all right? Just to let you know. Yeah. Hey, uh, it, it is great to see you. I want to, by the way, add my welcome as well to those that are watching online. I want you guys to be aware of something, especially those that are from North Shore on a regular basis. Uh, we just recently launched our live services, all three of our live services on Facebook uh, Live, the North Shore Facebook page. And just for perspective, it used to be 250, 300 people would tune into our webcast on on our website uh, each week, wherever you're at. You, I mean, you can tune in anytime, place. But... Uh, this Facebook has launched this, and we have close to a thousand people that are watching on Facebook Live right now, and and that's pretty exciting. And Josh just told me before the service that 1,600 people last weekend were interacting with those on that on that site, and so this is a whole new dimension of ministry and outreach that uh, that we're having here at North Shore. And if you if you're on Facebook, you can invite folks and get them plugged in, and that might be a first step to introduce them. Uh, to the message that, that we're bringing about the Lord. And so anyway, I'm excited about that and uh, look, look forward to see what's going to unfold in the, the weeks ahead. Uh, tonight we're in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 16, and we're continuing a series that we've been in here since Christmas uh, following the life of Jesus. Uh, he, we, we launched at Christmas time uh, a series we call His Story, and we've been following a book. In fact, a, f- a friend of mine and his staff had created this several years ago uh, on the heels of a great series called The Story that took almost 30 weeks. We did that here a few years ago and really wanted to zero in more on the, just the life of Christ. And so we've been concentrating on that these last weeks, and now we're at the crescendo. Now we're at the, the kind of pinnacle of the story, of course. We'll, we'll uh, conclude this series next week, by the way. I'll just give you guys a heads up. If, uh, if you come next week, we're going to celebrate what, what we've done uh, up to that point. Also, we've got several baptisms that we're going to be celebrating. Folks who have taken a step to follow the Lord, we're going to be doing that. And I just wanted to let you know, uh, I'm also kind of excited about sharing some things that we're, we're going to be doing in the near future, some kind of vision things that we want you to be aware of here at North Shore and, and to begin to pray with us about. And so lots of stuff happening next week. I know the ladies are going to be gone, but guys, uh, you come and you deliver the message that we share to them when they get home on Sunday afternoon, okay? I, I hope you'll join us. But tonight, we're, uh, we're looking at uh, Mark chapter 16. We, we're celebrating the, the greatest event, in, in my opinion, in all, in all of history. You know, I stop and I think about preaching. Preaching's a privilege, and, and no more so than, than this particular weekend to declare the risen Lord. Uh, it, it's quite a privilege. It's quite a responsibility. And I think when I preach, you know, I'm limited to words uh, to be able to communicate with you. When God preaches, it seems like he always does it with acts and with deeds. And probably the greatest of these is the creation that we all get to witness. The seasons, for example. You know, the summertime, it just always tells us about the beauty and the bounty, you know, of summertime. Uh, autumn kind of reminds us that things are going to fade pretty soon and, and those things are going to die off. And then winter is probably the most solemn message of all that the Lord speaks when there's no outward signs or evidences of, of life, and it looks so barren around us. But then springtime comes, 
and everything kind of bursts back to life. There's revelation and there's resurrection. It starts coming out of the ground, the beauty and everything comes, comes back to life. This is the Lord's message. Now sometimes creation doesn't listen and it goes back to winter. I heard it's supposed to snow on Monday. I don't know if you heard that or not. But, uh, but on the most part, we can begin to see the beauty. The trees are blossoming. And it all tells the same message about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a great celebration. Appreciate our, our team here. And I, I want to say thanks also to our volunteers. Um, we, we just really love our community and, and look forward to opportunities to connect. And one of the greatest things that we've done as far as outreach is what we did this morning. We call it extravaganza. And uh, Sandy and the team told me that there was almost close to 3,000 uh, that came to this this year. And there were kids, there were families, there were conversations, there were uh, amazing things happening all over our campus here. And uh, if you're one of those by chance that came and, and just, you know, maybe for the first time uh, and maybe came back to the service, we want to welcome you. And hopefully that same spirit of life and and just joy uh, will permeate even the times that we share here. But I want to say thanks to Sandy and her team. She did an amazing job, her and Rebecca and all of their team, all the volunteers. You guys are amazing. Uh, this was on the heels of a great Friday, uh, Good Friday service that Blaine and, and Brandy and their uh, student ministry team, if you were part of that, you know that that was, that was very moving. So it's an exciting weekend. When we... Uh, when we've been following the life of Christ through this series, of course, last week we were talking about uh, the crucifixion, the, uh, the, the solemn moments as, as Jesus Christ is laying his life down for us. It is, it is so compelling when you just stop and think about that. Like we did Friday night, we, we kind of went back to Stations of the Cross. You know, I was taken back when I was preparing this week. When I was a kid and I didn't know the Lord, didn't have any relationship with God at all, and I remembered... Every once in a while, I'd be sitting in my, my little house there down in Central California and maybe watching TV, and I had a bookcase just to the right of the TV. In the middle of this bookcase was this big white family Bible. Any of you have one of those big Bibles? The car, you know, huge thing about this thick, and it was on the shelf there. And every once in a while, I don't know if I just got bored or what, but I would just kind of be drawn to that Bible. I didn't know where to go. I didn't, know, I didn't know where to even begin to look. I didn't know anything about the books of the Bible, but I would just open it. But the one thing, even as, as somebody who didn't know that much about it, I would think about the cross of Jesus Christ. And I, I would search. It would take me quite a while to eventually find where the story's at. And in case you're looking, it's in the Gospels, okay? And uh, all of the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, they all share their version of that story. And I remember as a kid, I, I would look at that, and I would begin to read that story, and there was just something so, so compelling about it and so drawing. And you couldn't really stop. You couldn't, you couldn't just stop at that, that story because, you know, you just knew something inside. It, it can't end there, right? And you keep reading, and you keep reading, and all of a sudden, then, then the true story unfolds that Jesus Christ did not stay in the grave but he rose from the grave. I remember as a kid just thinking, did, did that really happen? Did it really happen? And there are some pretty fundamental questions that we walk through in life. And I, I, I happen to believe that that's probably the most basic question that we could ever ask ourselves: is, did Jesus Christ really raise from the dead? 
And tonight I want to frame just in the next few minutes a couple of questions that we might just look at. I want to take you back, if you were with us in the series, take you back to last week. Of course, uh, Jesus Christ has, has been uh, brutally crucified by these Roman executioners. They, uh, they knew what they were doing. And if you got notes on the way in, I usually kind of going to follow just an outline to kind of help you sequentially think about what took place. But as we ask that, that question, did Jesus Christ uh, really uh, raise from the dead? The first thing we have to ask is, did he really die? Now, that might sound like a silly question, but there's some folks that don't believe that. They, there was a theory that came out. It was called the swoon theory. Did you ever hear that? That somehow Jesus on the cross just, uh, just kind of passed out. And his disciples were able to get him off of the cross and nurse him back to health. And I remember reading about a pastor, he's a well-known pastor, and he wrote an article weekly uh, in, a, in a well-known newspaper. It was kind of a question and answer. It's kind of like a Dear Abby, you know, only on spiritual matters. Somebody wrote him and said, uh, you know, dear sirs, my pastor said on Easter that Jesus didn't really die, but he only passed out and his disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? And he signed it, bewildered. And so the pastor responded to him and he said, listen. He said, you go beat your pastor with a, a cat of nine tails 39 times. You nail him to a cross. You leave him out in the sun for many, many hours. And then take him off of that cross and put him into a, an airless grave for 36 hours and see what he does. And I think about that, and I think there are actually some people think, well, here's the reality, here's the truth, is that they took him off of the cross. Joseph of Arimathea, he was kind of a secret disciple, one of the Pharisees, he came and asked Pilate for the body. And P Pilate was actually kind of amazed that Jesus had passed uh, so quickly, because sometimes these, these people who were being crucified would linger on and on. Well, he was gone, and so Pilate was convinced, the centurion was convinced that saw him, the executioner was convinced because he knew it was his life or, his, or the other life because that was their duty to, to make sure they died. And, and even these religious Jews that were kind of responsible to begin with, they believed he was dead. How do we know? The gospel tells us that they actually went to Pilate themselves and said, you know, we heard this man declare that he was going to rise from the dead. And just to make sure that they don't come and steal his body, you need to seal it up, you know, make sure that it's good and sealed, and then put guards in front of it so that they can't, you know, perpetuate some lie that uh, somehow he's been raised from the dead. Now, you know what I find funny about that? They believed he was going to rise in three days, or he said, but his disciples didn't even know that uh, that, that was going to happen. He had told them many times, and they didn't just seem to get that. So we know he really died. I think the second thing that we can confirm is that there really was an empty tomb. Here's where it gets exciting. Bible says that on that, that first morning, as, uh, as they went to prepare, now you need to understand that when Jesus died on that, that Friday, the, before the Passover, that he died before that day was up, and he was buried at that point. 
The next day was the Sabbath. They could not do anything then. They couldn't prepare him. They couldn't, couldn't be involved in that way. So they had to wait until the third day. And that's why early in the morning, the women were on their way to the tomb. Joseph had just kind of temporarily put him in linens and laid him in the tomb. But they knew they were going to come back to prepare him with spices and oils and other things and anoint him uh, in the proper way. That's what they were doing that morning. And I'm sure the women were talking to themselves saying, well, who's going to move the stone away? You know, we're, we're, we're not, you know, just, there, was, there was a dilemma. But when they got there, the stone had already been rolled away. And the Bible records, if you're looking at your note in Mark 16, it says, entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. So when they looked at him, and they knew, they knew that, that, uh, that he was gone, the first thing they did was to go back and to tell the other disciples but the Bible records they didn't believe them. It says uh, they went back to the rest, but they did not believe. The third thing we declare is Jesus really did raise from the dead. His early, dis- the, the, you know, early in the, the process here, these disciples, they didn't believe that this was happening. The women went back and told them they didn't believe. John records that Peter and John immediately got up and ran toward the tomb. Uh, John's gospel is recording this. John makes it a little interesting note that he was the one that got there first, but he didn't go inside. Peter just rushes right inside this tomb and finds these linens laying there, and they're all trying to figure this out. And all of a sudden, what she had said is beginning to be verified. They didn't know what this all meant, so they go back to the other disciples. Now, in the meantime... The other disciples are cowering in fear. They're behind closed doors because they're thinking that their fate is going to be the same as Jesus. If they declare this Jesus and they know that they're identified with him, they're afraid they're going to be executed as well. And so they are, they're totally, totally uh, engulfed in fear. And when Peter and John come back and tell them what has happened, that's when they begin to sort things out and trying to, to figure out what, what really has happened. It, uh, later that night, Jesus himself appears to them, and then they know, then they understand. Of course, Thomas wasn't there, and it wasn't until uh, sometime later that, that Jesus appears to him, but now he's beginning to disclose what in fact has happened. He really did rise from the dead. You know, uh, I remember Josh McDowell, a great apologist, he said, you know, if Jesus Christ is not raised from the dead, he said, this is either the greatest hoax and the most wicked, evil hoax that, that has ever been devised, or it is a fact of history. You have to decide which one is which. It's either a hoax and a lie, or it's a fact of history. And that's one thing that, and I know many of you here tonight, most of you here tonight, if I ask you, do you believe that he rose from the dead? You'd say, absolutely. It's like the great hymn writer said when uh, the, the, the Easter song, he lives, he lives. How do I know he lives? Because he lives within my heart. That's how we know he lives. But if there's any of us tonight that are doubting that or wonder that, you know, one of the things is he didn't stop at just those disciples. It's not just this little holy huddle of folks that became convinced about that. The Bible records that there were a couple of men on the road. He said, after these things, he appeared another form to two of them 
as they were walking in the country. We believe these were the guys that were on the road to Emmaus, about eight miles from Jerusalem. And they, they were just blown away by it, by it. They were all talking and walking with him. And then they go back into Jerusalem and say, we've seen him, we've seen him, he's alive. But here's what the Apostle Paul tells us. He says, not only did he show up to, to the disciples and others, but there were 500 people one time that saw the resurrected Jesus. And those things are recorded for us. This Gospel of Mark is the earliest of our Gospels, probably written about four years after these events. Paul's writing, who recorded the 500 that saw him, that was written probably about six years after. But this is the testimony, is that these people said, you know, we saw him too. We saw him alive. And it's true. He really is risen. But to me, this is the most convincing thing of all. You know what it is? It is the behavior of those disciples after the fact. How did they act after they saw Jesus alive? The Bible says that just a few weeks later, you find these same guys that were cowering in fear behind the walls. Now they're out in the open. They're out in public. And for example, in Acts chapter 3, verse 14, it says they were declaring Jesus. They said, but you denied the holy righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. These leaders didn't like that. And this was the start of it all. This was the launch of the whole deal, okay? It says they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They didn't like that. But it tells you something about their character. Friends, people do not die for a lie, for a known lie. They just don't do it. In fact, one person pointed out that rarely do people even stay together to hold a lie together. They will disperse. They will, they will, they will go apart. Do you know that all but one of the apostles were martyred? They gave up their life for the name of Jesus. All but one. And you just don't, you don't die for a lie. You keep sharing this. Historians have acknowledged and they said, you know what? The, the way that this works, they keep declaring this. If it was a lie, somebody could have produced the body. Somebody could have produced that. Someone would have known that he wasn't, wasn't really raised from the dead. So this one declaration that we get to celebrate tonight is he really, really did raise from the grave. Now, here's what's probably more important, because I, I suspect that most of us here tonight are convinced of that, and we believe that, but what does it really mean for us? The fact that Jesus rose from the dead impacts us even now, thousands of years later. How? Okay. Here's the first thing I want to suggest to you, is that because Jesus rose from the dead, here's what he did. Well before Easter, he declared, I am the resurrection and I'm the life. If you'll put your trust and belief in me, though you die, you will live and go on. These are, these are quite the claims. And the fact that he did it proves that what he said was true. Now here's how I read that. That means, friends, that there is an absolute truth, and it is Jesus who has the authority to determine what that truth is. He even said, I am the truth. Now, guys, let's fast forward to today. Would you agree with me that we're living in a time where truth is kind of up for grabs? Huh? I mean, everybody wants to determine their own truth. 
And where do they get it? Well, some people are going to get it by the pressure of society. Some people get it by, um, by the news. Some people are going to get it by the culture that is surrounding us. In other words, if everybody's doing it, then it must be okay. Do you see that kind of playing itself out? Some people you might talk with or have a conversation and just going to say, well, for me, this is, this is what the truth is. For me. But, but the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, and the only one that has, gives him kind of transcendent authority over this subject. He is the one that's going to determine the truth. And for those of us that truly put our trust in him and believe in him, we trust him that your truth is my truth. This is why throughout this series we've been saying it's his story, but his story becomes my story when he's the Lord of my life. He's the one uh, that's calling the shots in my life. He's the one uh, whose commands I want to obey because I know he loves me and I know they're going to be for my good. So he determines that truth. We really don't have the business of of determining that truth. It is Jesus who is going to determine that for us. I, uh, I stop and I think another thing that I learned from this is that there, there is a promise for each of us that there truly will be eternal life for those of us who put our trust in him. Look what the scripture says in John 11. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Okay? Now that, that was sometime before the cross and the resurrection and Jesus is asking this question, right? Do you believe this? And, and they're thinking, well, you know, based on what we've seen, you've done miracles and, you know, this is, this is pretty amazing what we're watching and what we're learning. But guys, now, when he's been executed on the cross, buried in a tomb, and now has risen on the third day and appeared to them, this gives it a whole new sense of authority. Wouldn't you agree? Now do you say, do you believe that? Do you believe that, that, that I'm the one who is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that those who believe in me and trust me, he says, do you believe that they will live forevermore? That's the promise uh, that he gives us. And I, um, I stop and I, I consider that, and I, I know the conversations that I have you know, when, whenever somebody gives you the opportunity or the right to, to kind of dig down deeper in, into, into some meaningful things and have those, those meaningful conversations, I, um, I always kind of wonder, what, what do you really believe is going to happen? And I started off tonight and I said, we're going to kind of frame this in some, some questions a lot of us have. And I was asked just recently, just a few days ago by somebody that says, what, what, Pastor, what do you really think is going to happen when we die? I, uh, many of you from the congregation know that just a few weeks ago I lost my brother, um, my brother Doug. And I had gone down there right around the first part of February, and I knew it was probably going to be the last conversation that I had with him. And when his wife Lucy left and the kids were gone and it was just me and Doug, I asked him this question. I said, Doug, what do you think is going to happen one minute after you die? And I'd never gotten that, that pointed with him before, but, but the, his answer was quite interesting and quite revealing about what he believed and what he trusted and what he was looking forward to. And tonight I would ask you the same thing. And again, going back to the first point I made, who is determining that truth? 
Wouldn't you say that the only person who had the right to teach us on that, that subject would be somebody who went on the other side of the grave and then came back to tell us about it? Does that not make sense? There's nobody else other than Jesus who's done that. So, so he is the authority. We'll just settle that. So what did he say? And through his spirit who filled some of the subsequent writers like the Apostle Paul, what did he say through his spirit, his anointed spirit, about what was going to happen? Could I just clarify a couple of things? Because this is such a fundamental question. And when we talk about the resurrection on, on Easter, what does it really mean for us? Can you settle that issue? Could I just, could I just pinpoint a couple of issues? Number one is, is the Bible teaches that we will have a real identity on the other side eventually. Okay, and I'm going I'm to clarify that. We will have a real identity. Here's what Paul taught in Corinthians. He said, God gives, gives it a body that he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. He's teaching on this subject of our resurrection. And he's, he's reminding us a little earlier in verse 20 that Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. And for as by man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. Okay, Let's begin to clarify. What does this resurrection really mean? Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he had a body. He was with his guys, and he, it was different, obviously. Um, some of them didn't recognize him. And then all of a sudden they'd recognize him. It sounds like he would eat, but then he would walk through the door. Uh, you know, I don't understand it all. All I know is that body is the first fruit. That's the body that we are going to receive. But what happens to us right away? Here's what I believe. I think the Bible teaches us that when we die, we do not stop existing. There are some of your friends and maybe workers or colleagues or, or family that, that would tell you, oh, we just cease to exist. They call it annihilation or annihilus. We just stop existing, and that's all they believe. Friends, that is not the truth. Your soul, your soul continues on even though your body ceases, okay? That's what death is. It's separation. It means your soul goes one way and your body stays here. And, and basically, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I believe when we die, we go to be with the Lord, but it is our soul that goes to be with the Lord. We have not received our resurrected bodies yet. The Bible says that that's going to happen at the time that Jesus Christ appears. And we're looking forward to that day, aren't we? He could come at any time, by the way. Break through the clouds. He appears. The trumpet calls. Jesus calls his elect. The dead in Christ, those who are asleep, their bodies that are like seeds. That's what Paul said in that verse. We're like seeds. <laughs> you know I, you know how I read this? I read it like going to a garden store, and you're going through the aisles, and you're seeing these packages you know, that are going to be in your garden. They're the little tiny seeds like this, but man, I see the green, green beans and the peas and the flowers on the package. I look on the package of what those seeds are going to become. This is what Paul's doing in 1 Corinthians 15. He's saying, this is, this is your hope. This is what the resurrection means, is you've got the hope, and Jesus Christ showed us the first fruit. He showed us the picture on the package. It's what it's going to look like. I don't know all the answers, but I know that's what we're looking forward to, and you will have a distinct identity. 
I think another thing Paul says, it will be imperishable. He said, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable will now be raised imperishable. How, how can that be? I don't know. I don't know how a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. But it does, and it's beautiful. <laughs> There's just something that happens. I think it's a miracle. And, and that's one of those creation messages that God has sent us. It says, just look. Look, look what I've done. And he will do that uh, with us. But here's the good news. Is the bottom line is, we are going to be like Jesus. And when I say like Jesus, that first fruits that we see on that Easter morning, that, that resurrected body, that resurrected life, we are going to be resurrected just like Jesus was if we believe in him. Here's what the truth says. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So what does resurrection mean? It means he's the absolute truth and, and we, can, we can bank on that. It means we have the promise of eternal life. And finally tonight, I just wanna share this with you. One thing I learned from the Easter story and what we've been studying and reading about the one thing I can't help but, but, but notice is everybody who witnessed the resurrection could not help but tell somebody about it. Did you notice that? Mary goes and tells Peter and John. Peter and John go figure it out. They come back and tell their buddies. And then as you watch the book of Acts unfold, everybody begins to tell everybody that they can boldly, Jesus Christ is alive. We've got a message to tell, amen? And a good news message. It is a message that the world needs to hear today. Guys, there are broken people that we're involved with every day of our life. That we are, folks are just messed up. They're hurting. And they're hurting in a level and a measure like I've never seen in my years of ministry. And I'll tell you what, I, I hope we don't leave them hanging or leave them without the hope. The only thing that's going to really make a difference is when they understand that Jesus Christ is alive and he wants to make that difference in their own life, in their own heart. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? That Jesus Christ is alive? Do you believe that he came to show you the way toward that eternal life? It's that same Jesus that we're celebrating rose from the dead that, that is here tonight. He lives tonight. Here's his own words. He says, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys to death and Hades. Jesus Christ is alive. He wants a relationship with each one of us. He wants a relationship with you. And uh, if you... You have not trusted him uh, for that. Tonight, uh, as we close, I'm gonna, I want to say a prayer. And I know sometimes it might seem like a quick and easy thing, and it is. You know, I, I got to say it's one of the simplest, easiest things, and yet, and yet it, it, it usually entails a journey. And I just want to acknowledge tonight, some of you are here tonight, and some of the folks that are going to be here this Easter weekend have been on a journey. God has been taking you through circumstances, through experiences, through relationships. Somewhere along the line, you probably had, had somebody tell you about this Jesus. 
and, and maybe like I was when I was a kid and, and just curious and kind of drawn over there to that Bible and read that story for myself. Maybe some of you were drawn this weekend to come to church. Maybe some of you for the first time to hear this message. But here's what I discovered when I was 17 years old. That that Jesus was not just a legend. He was not just a historical figure. But he truly was alive. It happened to me in a pretty unconventional way. But when it happened, there was absolutely no mistaking. Because it was Jesus himself that walked into this life of mine. He sought me out. That's what we call it, amazing grace. I was blind, but now I see. That's what happened to me one Saturday night, four days after I graduated from high school. And uh, life has not been the same ever since. You know, a few weeks ago when I, I stood in front of my whole life of family and, and relationships and friends at my brother's service down in California, I don't know, there was just this moment where I thought, they probably thought I was crazy. 17-year-old, I was a Jesus freak, and came back and said, man, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus, and I was out witnessing. I thought, yeah, this will last a week or two. got to understand, three weeks earlier, my dad had to pick me up out of jail for selling large sums of drugs. They thought the course was set. And that's why I'm such a believer that only Jesus can make the difference that so many of us are seeking. He can break those chains like we started off that service tonight. He's the one that can break those chains. He's the one that can deliver us miraculously from the pain and the heartache and the brokenness that we're seeing all around us. He did it in my life. I know it, and that's all I believe. That's like the guy in John. I, I was blind, but now I see. I don't know all the rest, and maybe I don't have it all figured out, but I do know this. Jesus is alive. And when, I, when that happened to me, I tell you, I jumped out of that car, and I didn't care who heard me. All I could say is, he's real. God is real. He's real. And I was jumping as high in the air as I could. And they said, man, he got to hold some good stuff tonight. You know, he's seeing God, God now. I'm serious. That's what my friends thought. And one of the very guys that was there that night, 45 years ago, I just had a conversation with him when I was down in California. You know, and, and, and he's seen the life over 45 years. Why, why the scripture says, he that begins a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion. Friends, he won't let you go. He won't let you go if you'll truly trust him and truly believe. That's what we pray. And, uh, and I just pray that if God is stirring, God's calling you, God's uh, speaking to your heart, just, just open it up to him. He uses the analogy of knocking on the door and he says, if you'll open the door, I'm going to come in, and I'll make your heart my home forever. Would you like that? Tonight, I want to give you an opportunity, and then we're going to close celebrating the Lord as we go out. But why don't we stand together? Let me, let me say a prayer with you, and, uh, and we will just commit these things to God and invite our, uh, our worship leaders. They're going to come up and, and guide us going out. But before we do, could we just bow our heads and talk to him for a moment? Lord, we, we love you tonight, and we thank you that you are risen. We thank you that, that uh, so many of us here tonight have enjoyed a personal relationship with you. It's not something we just read about. It's not just something that is a fact of history. But, Lord, it is a personal, very personal relationship that we enjoy with you. God, I'm praying for my friends that are here tonight. However they got here or whatever stirred them to be here, if they have some uncertainty about their, their relationship with you. Perhaps tonight is the night.
They want to settle that. There's something just almost intangible that is drawing them, that is, that is kind of compelling them to a point of, of decision. Lord, I hear your words where you say, if, if you will receive me, you will become a child of God. And if that's where you're at tonight and you wonder, what do I do? What do I say? Just let him know tonight in your heart of hearts. Just, just talk to him and say, Lord Jesus, tonight I, I want to ask you to come into my life and make my heart your home. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I'm so sorry for them. And I want to begin to uh, walk in your ways. Tonight I receive your free gift of eternal life. And I'm asking for the power to live that kind of life that is going to please you from now on. I give my heart to you. I trust you. And I thank you as my Lord and my Savior, Jesus. I pray, Lord, over those who might sincerely pray this this evening, that the Holy Spirit will come upon them, will fill them to fullness, that they'll have no doubt whatsoever that they indeed are a child of God. We look forward to what, what fruit's going to come about, but Lord, this is the beginning. This is just the beginning, and you promise that you'll, you'll see us through to the end, till that day when we see you and appear, and that we will all be like you. We commit ourselves to that end. We thank you for the celebration that we get to enjoy the work that you did on the cross and the life that now you've revealed through the empty grave. We love you tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.